everyone, welcome back to the Book and Life podcast. Today we're going to have a brand new book guest on. Whether they're an author, an editor, a producer, you'll never quite know, so you're in for one hell of a ride. But today I just have to uh, do the adverts and then I'll get us straight into that most important conversation. And as as we do every week, um, I'm going to read The Shadow which is part of the Time Guardian series, and this is book four from Marianne Curley. The battle is over, the war is won. The prophecy complete, but life can't just pick up where it left off for Ethan, struggling to cope with tragic loss. At odds with friends in the guard, he finds himself adrift, jumping in shadows and sensing someone who can't possibly be there. Blaming herself for the goddess Athena's death, Giselle swears revenge to fullify the immortal's plan for world domination, but Giselle hadn't planned on love, and that leaves her with an unbearable choice. Should she follow her heart, or the strings of a goddess short on praise but high on expectation, who continues to pull her from the grave? As the guard and the order battles through the past and into an impossible future, darkness looks round every corner. The fight for the world's survival rests with just one. Is it friend or foe who stands in the shadow? And just a reminder that The Price of Freedom by Rosemary Aiken, sorry, Rosemary Rowan, um, is being donated to the Ukraine refugee crisis. And here's the blurb for her book. It's uh, one of her... Roman British crime series, which was written under her maiden name. All editions can be found online where all books are sold, even her agents donating her commission. Sorry, I don't have the blurb for that, but uh, that's that's what she's doing. And now, without further ado, let's get you to the guests. And today we are going to be welcoming back the wonderful author who... I can put my hand on my heart and say I had a great success in promoting me into writing and pushing me down that road. And uh, she's she's a, honestly a spotlight for Shetland and an amazing representative. So without further ado, let's welcome Marzi Taylor to the show. Hello. Thank you, Crystal, for having me. It's great to have you back. <laughs> you know? We're, we're 63 episodes in and it's, it's great to have yeah. somebody that started at the beginning coming coming back on to talk. Mm-hmm. And you're on book 11 now, your new book series. I am, yes. Uh, Death in a Shetland Lane. Um, so tell us about, well, how did you get the idea for number 11 and what's sort of kept this series rolling for you? Well, um, this particular book started with a Facebook post from one of the archivists in the Shetland Museum about the Book of the Black Arts, which was supposedly a real book, a book of spells carelessly dropped by the devil when he was visiting Orkney. It's um, written in white on black paper, and it ended up, the last time it was seen was in Cullivo. But there was also a folk story, Cullivo and Yell, in Shetland, one of the North Isles, and there's also a folk story about a minister having buried it in a graveyard. 
because the problem with the book was you see you could do all sorts of things with it that the devil would take your soul if you died in possession of it um but you couldn't manage to give it away because people didn't want it and so what the the supposed last owner of it did was took it to the local minister and the minister gave him a silver sixpence for it but didn't open it so that the curse didn't go on him and he buried it in the kirkyard with a bible on top so i had the idea of this book surfacing somewhere and trying to think well what would people what would drive people to use this book to ill wish somebody else um so i started off with a lovely sinister scene of the servant girl at the manse letting in this worried neighbour who's carrying this bulky parcel and then watching from her window as he and the minister go out and bury something in the graveyard and that's that sort of 1880s so it jumps 140 years to the let me see the, an old lady telling her granddaughter a story that she was told by her grandmother of seeing this minister burying something sinister so I, I suppose the, the kind of underlying theme of the book, because there always is one, is wanting things. So some of the suspects after a young girl falls in a Shetland lane and dies, um, one of them is somebody, her best friend, who is desperate for fame. Um, there's another one, a man, her boyfriend, who is dead keen to win, you know, make a fortune, even if it destroys yeah. the seabed. And... The, her boyfriend's ex-wife is just desperately short of money and trying to get by and uh, that's another theme in the book the um, hardship of women so there's there's a widow's road now I think the person who told me it was in Yale was muddled and it's actually Unst but it was after one of the fishing disasters and oh, yeah. you know the thing about the fishing disasters that the boats were crewed by seven men the six rings and they tended to be seven men of the same family. So if yeah. one boat was lost, that might be the father, two sons, two husbands of, of two of the daughters and, and their two oldest children. Yeah, um, right, yeah. And there was one particular laird in Anst who, when there was a storm and the boats were lost, came down on the widows for the price of the boat because yeah. he owned the boat. And of course they had no money. They were left with absolutely nothing. So he very kindly said that, well, he would cancel the debt if they would build a road for him. So that that came into it too. Um, and it's also rather a spooky book, because since since the last time the book was seen in Colourville, I thought, well, I can have fun with this. Um, because also in Yale, as, as you know, of course, but yep. your listeners maybe don't, is this ruined house called Wind House. It's it's got it it's a much older house i think it was 16th 17th century but it's got this sort of long battlements facade which was put on victorian times and it's built on what was a medieval graveyard now i i remember it i i sort of borrow my memories for cass when she goes into it because i actually remember it being almost habitable i remember it still having the roof on and the stairs going up because the friend I was there with was saying, why don't we go upstairs? I'm going, absolutely not. No way. I'm not <laughs> going any further. It had the most horrid atmosphere. I just didn't want to be in it at all. But it's supposed to be Britain's most haunted. It's got a, a silk lady who rustles and a sel yep. servant girl who walks up an invisible staircase and workers there found a skeleton under under the briggy stain, the, the big stone in front of the door. 
and um, various skeletons were dug up because it was actually on top of a medieval graveyard. So it's it's got loads of history, and it's a very nice place to send poor Cass. So that, yeah, it, it is, and, it, and it's so funny you mentioned Kalivo because my great grandmother came from there. So Ooh. my grandmother used to come up with all these just bizarro stories that she used to tell mm -hmm. whenever I was down inside her. And mm -hmm. my great grandmother was uh, Gilbertha, and mm -hmm. she was absolutely just fantastic woman. We used to go up to Yale for weekend visits. Mm -hmm. And she would always have the ray burn on and the peat would be mm -hmm. smelling through the house and she'd have the electric fire on in the living room. And and yeah, like, just Yell was sort of a, a part of us growing up and I mm -hmm. always mind her talking about the haunted house is how she used to, to refer uh -huh. to that place. It was the haunted what house. Yeah, you don't want yeah. to go by there. You know, bairns have disappeared from there and just the way she would kind of go on about it. And she had my brother mm -hmm. absolutely terrified of this this place, uh -huh. and every time the car would go by, she he would just sort of like shrink mm -hmm. <laughs> down from the window, you know, just in case I go saw mm -hmm. him and came and chased him back to Larwick or something. Um, mm -hmm. And it was it was you know it was my grand who used to talk about the fishing boats and mm -hmm. and how my great grandmother would sit with the uh, the radio, this sort mm -hmm. of CBS radio system that they used. And she would listen for the boats mm -hmm. because she lost she lost I think two two or three husbands uh, mm -hmm. to the fishing industry, and she used to go round to the houses when she would hear the boats go down, and she'd mm -hmm. always be the first one there to to sort of um, make it easier because mm -hmm. as she used to say the minister doesn't know the minister no. hasn't lived through this, no. but I have so it was like it was kind of like in her nature to. To mm -hmm. be the first one there, usually with a pot of soup or mm -hmm. a stew or mm -hmm. something in hand. And she would help take care of the bairns while the adults mm -hmm. grieved or had tea or whatever it was yeah. that they had to do. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, it, it's so funny because just thinking of that, it just sort of brought me back. And I'll never forget the amazing colours you used to get in Yale. Just in that, mm -hmm. in that vow of it. You know, some of the worst storms would blow through there, but it would be some of the prettiest skies you'd ever see. Mm. Yeah, and the colours of Yell. I mean, I know people say, oh, Yell is just one big peak bang, but the colours of those hills, if you drive through in sort of late August, September, yeah. right through to December, you know, there's one point where it's almost flame orange all the way. It's wonderful. And it's the folk Yeah, there it so does, nice. yeah. And it's the last place I, in I the like universe where they still have common sense instead of health and safety. Yes, I, I, would, I, would, I would agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mind uh, asking my, my grandmother, Mai, I said to her, I said, so how is it that Yell's always orange? And I'll never forget, she turned around to me, she said, oh, that's because that's where the fairies kissed Shetland to make it magical. So every mm -hmm. autumn it turns orange because that was the colour of the fairy that, that kissed the magic into the islands. And I don't know why, oh. but that stuck with me ever since. Well, it was a lovely idea. Hmm. It was a this very lovely idea. But she, from, I think. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. They, they, I think what they used to do is they used to try and tell me as many stories as they could because I would, I would sort of snack on food when mm -hmm. they would tell me stories. And it was the only way to get me to eat as a kid. 
Mm-hmm. So my grandparents, um, my grandfather was a was a painter, and he was better at the imagination than than my grandmother was. So he would have to try and think of all these stories he could tell me, or mm-hmm. ways to entertain me to get me to eat. Mm-hmm. And then of course the other side would do the same. And my mom said it was the only time I would eat anything, or I would drink a glass mm-hmm. of milk, or whatever it was they were trying to get mm-hmm. me to do because. I would be so fascinated on the stories, I would forget that yeah. I didn't like eating or I didn't want to eat or whatever mm-hmm. it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think they ha- they all kind of got forced to have an imagination <laughs> with me. <laughs> so yeah, mm-hmm. but uh, Yell to me was always the most magical and I took mm-hmm. Ian up and uh, even when I go on it, it's like I get hit with the inspiration to write. Mm-hmm. It's just as if somebody slaps a wet kind of creative cloth on my face and I'm like oh I can write I just like suddenly doing that but every time I come up to Shetland I write so um, it's great when I've got it's an excuse for a sale as well because what she's actually doing up there did did you see in the Shetland papers that they decided to close the driving test centre in Lerwick and create two new ones one on the island of Wolsey and one on the island of Yell and Which none on the, the mainland. Um, yeah. our, our MP said that he didn't know who dream, what that whoever dreamed that up was on, but uh, it, it, it was. I read that and I said to my dad, it again quickly. Yeah, like I, I literally said to my dad, I said, "Well, how are you going to get to Yell if you can't drive? Mm. It's not like the bus actually takes you across on the ferry." Mm. And my dad goes, "Oh, you've got a point there." And I said, well, it's the same if you have to go to Walza, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think whoever was thinking of it was thinking, well, the most folk that, I suppose, need licenses more than anybody is the ones that are on the fishing boats because they have to drive into Larwick for all the, mm-hmm. you know, fishing-related stuff. And I think they see them as the places that has the most money, almost, because if you look at Yale... They are still fishing quite a bit, and they've got a lot of that other stuff going and coming and going all the time. And Walza is full of fishing; it, it is just an island full of fishing. So I could I could understand it in some ways, but not having one on the mainland just seemed completely insane to me. Um, I think they just so looked at the map and thought, "Yeah, that's within forty minutes drive of." Yeah. You know, they. I I don't know what I don't think they were thinking. I, I think I don't they think were they were either. Knowing. But anyway, yeah. so so when Cass is told she has to go and sit sit her driving theory test on Yell, then of course instantly she she needs to get her boat ready and it's it's set sort of early spring, mid March. So it, that well, also maybe, gives me maybe the they just assume we all know how to. Actually, thinking up, about that when you say like about Cassie getting ready on her boat, makes me think. Mm. Well, maybe they all think we sail. Whoever dreamed up maybe thinks we all sail boats. Maybe they do, yes. It takes her a day and a night to get there, mind you. Yeah, exactly. Well, but they, no, they must well, assume that every islander mm. can sail a boat, so mm. well, we'll stick it on an island, and then that way they all use their they boats to go... They can just go, go up by island and not have to, to worry to about driving there. Yeah. Wouldn't put it past them if it occurred. <laughs> it's mad. Anyway, but, it gave me an excuse to put Cass to yell, and she hadn't been there yet. And the other place that they had to visit, of course, is Mary's. Mary's shop, which is formerly known as the Awick shop. And it's, um, again, for folk who don't know Shetland, 
it started out I think as a croft house with maybe a shop half and yeah. then they sort of expanded sideways into various byres and barns and a sort of back shed and it's now like an entire shopping mall rolled under one roof um, it but is still a, bit, a yeah. croft house shape and it also has a, or used to have it's moved now much to my upset it had an absolutely wonderful superb bargains and wonderful discoveries sort of charity shop in the back of it which has now moved to near the ferry and it has proper opening hours when it was in mary's you could just say can i take a peek into the charity shop and she'd let you in and then you just pay for your messages on your way out and yeah. i can't do that now i've been to yell twice and the charity shop has been closed in its new lo location and it had loads of really good stuff in as well i could see that's, that's the thing about yeah, they all trade mm. up there. Mm -hmm. And by the times my grandmother would, you know, she'd, she'd make things, knit things, and she mm -hmm. used to do the, the old lace shawls. Mm -hmm. Remember the old hand-knitted lace shawls? Mm -hmm. And she used to make them during the winter, and then she would trade them for whatever she needed mm -hmm. for the rest of the year. And, yeah, I'd, I always remember that. They, they would just, like, gather on a sa Sunday after church, and they would have gone... And traded mm -hmm. all the different things they could do because some women could bake really well and some mm -hmm. couldn't, so they would trade baked goods for things that folk had made for hand. And mm -hmm. it really, to me, it was, um, it reminds me of like what the Americans call the bush life mm -hmm. almost because it was folk making do with what they had mm -hmm. or what they could make or what, mm -hmm. what supplies were there. Mm -hmm. And it fascinates me that America goes on about the bush lifestyle and, and you know, how Alaska is one of the last places that has this sort of bush mm -hmm. life mentality. Mm -hmm. And I think, well, maybe they should come to Shetland and try real ruralness mm -hmm. for a change. <laughs> Rather than just hopping on a boat and being in a little city within an hour or two, mm -hmm. they should try, try being in Shetland for a week yeah. and see... See if that's the real bush lifestyle they're talking about. Mm -hmm. Well, there are places where it still is, I think. But that, that in a way, was one of the things I was thinking about while I was writing the book. Because there's this, this dialogue at one point between Cass and her older fisherman, Fred Magney, who is now sort of through his 70s. And she's saying, when did people start wanting it all? What started people off yeah. feeling that they have to have everything that you know, they can't move into a house unless everything is new, that they must always have expensive clothes and so on. Because it certainly wasn't like that in my childhood. I mean, that, that, was it, it I'm wasn't sure one of the reasons I'm so fond of clothes is because when I was young, you know, I had a big sister three years older and I got her clothes and that was that, you know. And I, actual new clothes was such a treat that I can remember both both new clothes that I ever had. Until I got as big as Joan. <laughs> For me, it was a case of, uh, I only got new clothes twice a year. Mm -hmm. And even then, it was on a budget. But mm -hmm. I think because in Shetland, the younger, younger generation are all looking on media. They're all on social media. Mm -hmm. They're all trying to, to emulate what they're seeing. Mm -hmm. And it's become an outward-facing attitude rather than what I grew up with was we looked at the community 
So mm-hmm. it was kind of like the teachers would turn our, instead of us being pushed towards the internet, we were pushed into the island, into the community activities, into the youth clubs, so that we were constantly being kept within that Shetland bubble. Mm-hmm. And I think nowadays it's so easy for the younger ones to experience America. And that's really where that kind of need to have everything comes from. It is mm-hmm. that very much that attitude, which is kind of flowed into Britain and then has reached us. And it is so easy for them because they go on social media and they see these really expensive shoes and they see the you know these big fancy houses and mm-hmm. fancy cars. And they just, t- t- they don't have any concept of money. They don't have any concept mm-hmm. of, of working for something. And I think that's we, where that we comes We saw from. those pictures too, and, but we didn't expect to have it. No. But I, I think it's also, in a way, because we we understood what the island had, mm. you know? Like, if you walked in Lerwick's Main Street, you didn't see, you know, Jaguars or... Porsches or you know people walking around in very expensive high heel shoes because <laughs> when we were gro- well because it just you couldn't do it it, it was no. simple whatever got delivered to the island was what you could get and that was end off yes um because we, we I think we were one of the last places in the island you know the islands was the last place to have a CD shop yes. remember when you used to buy CDs and uh-huh. you would you'd wait for your pocket money and you'd go down and buy a CD I mind doing that myself. I did that right up till I was nineteen years old. I'm mm-hmm. thirty four now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 absolutely crazy. But I, I do think I do feel social media and and sort of T V, the sort of reality star mm-hmm. shows has really yeah. impacted sort of my generation down. Mm-hmm. And there is that attitude we now within my own generation of we have to give our kids every last penny we have. Yes. Rather than... Which I find very strange. Yeah, you know, rather than sort of teaching them that life is more than just about what you do for a living or where you live. It's mm-hmm. about the family and the memories that you make. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I honestly, I do feel like the attitude of giving your children absolutely everything has come from the way that they've watched other families on TV doing it and that's where they're trying to emulate that idea of oh good mums and dads gave their kids absolutely every penny that they have and you, they don't want for anything and they don't need to work for anything and that's not good for the next generation because it doesn't teach them anything you know and on top of that they, they let them do what they want which worries me even more yes you know, when, when, can, I, when I hear hear somebody say as some screaming toddler, oh, I can't make him stay in bed. And I'm thinking, you tuck him under your arm, you put him in the bed, and you keep doing that until he stops. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I mean, because, it, there's because I just knew what that child was going Well, I could make an intelligent guess as to what that child might be like when I met it in secondary, never ever having said no to it. Yes. It's, it's funny, you know, you're speaking about the, the social media thing and that being something that that is stronger obviously on your generation than on mine and I've been kind of feeling that with Cass recently because every book that I write takes a year to write I'm afraid Um, but she only grows maybe two or three months per book 
so when when I first invented it and I thought ah good idea I'll make her the same age as my daughter and then I will know the kind of things that she listened to and the kind of things that she did and what I didn't realize of course that Marnie has is now well Cass is now 30 or 31 and Marnie's now 44 so <laughs> so so she would have had quite a different childhood from Marnie's childhood yeah um yeah. So, so that in some ways she's she's kind of thirty four going on forty five. Yeah, but she is. On a the other bit. hand, I think given her character, she wouldn't have spent time on social media anyway. No, I don't think she's I, I don't think enjoying the herself. Mm. Yeah, I think in Shetland it's a bit weird. I think that the kids that are heavily involved, because when I was up there and I was doing the youth clubs and I was sort of working as a, a teacher mm -hmm. assistant. I saw three different types of Shetland kids. So you had the ones that the parents ignored, who lived mm -hmm. on social media and played video games and never got no said to them. Mm -hmm. You, Which, by the way, most of them were still biters by the time that they were six, mm -hmm. which I would have liked to have known before I got bit on the job, but hey-ho. Mm -hmm. Yeah, th I think they should give us like a warning <laughs> if you're taking on a kid that's a known biter, please tell mm -hmm. the new learning support systems so that we know mm -hmm. to look out for it and not just get randomly bit, please. Ah, oh, but it's not biting, he's just expressing his personality. Like killer whales out in, in, in Spain grabbing grabbing boats and trying to munch, munch their rudders off. Yeah, I, I, and what I, do you know what scares me? Is mm -hmm. now in Shetland schools, teachers can't say the word no. It's probably a good thing I'm out of teaching, because you I said it regularly, both. and my pupils soon understood that I said it once, and I meant it. Yep. And any threats which were threatened were low-grade threats which would be instantly carried out. Yeah. And that I, I got in trouble for saying no. So I, I learned very fast that teachers mm. in Shetland no longer say the word no. They do in Glasgow. They do mm -hmm. say no in Glasgow, but they don't in Shetland. So, uh, mm -hmm. yes, um, which scared me a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, like the ones that were in the youth clubs were so well behaved. I mean, mm -hmm. they they had compassion, they had empathy, because they were being forced to socialise with each other. Mm -hmm. Because in youth club, particularly a lot of the youth clubs I ran, you couldn't sit on your phone. You had to have a conversation with people around you, mm -hmm. and we always had activities and games that meant they had to interact. Mm -hmm. Not just with us, but with each other. Mm -hmm. And I felt so proud of running those two youth clubs because I was able to see that there was a group of them that had common sense, mm -hmm. that knew that they had to work for things, knew that no was an okay thing to hear. Mm -hmm. But there is still there. There's going to be a very large group of kids that are going to grow up in that island who's never heard the word no. Mm -hmm. And when they leave Shetland, they're going to get a very big culture shock. Well, I always think when when they hit work, they're going to get nasty shock. Yeah, because yeah. they're going to be expected to actually work. And well, I I oh, was well. lucky enough in high school. Listen to us then. sounding like a pair of ninety-year-olds. Ah, young I people know, we these do days. A little bit. It, <laughs> 
Well, but it's true though, if you think on it. Because when, when I, um, when I was growing up, in my year, we had four boys in my year who never behaved, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, I was in their class because I was foundational level. So I got stuck with these four a lot. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I missed a huge chunk of my education because the teacher was spending more time yelling at them than by mm -hmm. teaching me. And they were the kind of kids who didn't have a very stable home life. They, they never heard the word no. We had a kid who'd come from Wales who was suddenly living in Shetland and he just didn't cope with it, right? Mm -hmm. And the teachers were not given the skills to deal with these four kids. And it was so disruptive. Mm -hmm. And I think, like, when I, when I read in the paper, uh, I think it was the paper anyway, because my dad had mentioned it to me, that there's been a group of uh, secondary school students who've come out claiming that their gender is a cat. I can't help a cat. Yes, they identify themselves as cats and they are behaving like cats in class. And I thought, how disruptive is that mm. going to be? Mm. Because the teachers cannot say to them, no, you're not a cat, you're a person, sit down and do your work. Because of the new very, very attitudes. Good thing I'm out of teaching because I'm afraid I would say exactly that. I would have said the same thing too. And I would be asking them to leave the room if they couldn't let other people work. Yep. That that to me is is exactly how I would handle it as well. Mm -hmm. And I know that's exactly how it's handled here. Mm -hmm. And I just I feel for the people that are in those classrooms, the other mm -hmm. students that actually want to learn. Mm -hmm. Because they know that that's the only way they're going to get to university and it's the only way they're mm -hmm. going to get to college and get to have really good jobs. Mm -hmm. Because it's them that suffers because the teacher is going to have to be constantly working around these kids mm -hmm. that are just playing up. I absolutely agree and it's something that I used to think about as a teacher that, yes, you know, we'd have children that had real problems, real difficulties, not of their own making. Yeah. Um, but yes, and then you had they ones that just up, made them up. They took up 50% perhaps of your teaching time. Um, they'd throw tantrums. They'd make the rest of the class really uneasy and nervous. And you thought, well, there has to come a point where you ha have to say, hang on. Here is one child. We understand he has all sorts of difficulties. But here are the other 19 in the class who just want to be allowed to work. And I yeah. think they had the right to do that rather than having their entire life. Dis I mean, I, I have had pupils who've had the same experience as you have, that they've gone through. And in Shetland, it's through your entire school career from primary one yeah. right up to secondary four with a disruptive pupil. And it, I, mean, see, the I also remember when I first came that, yeah. now I don't know whether it's, more settled families then mm -hmm. you know there were fewer divorces um or fewer people splitting up or whether it was that that people couldn't afford to buy coke chocolate you know i did yeah. always wonder what difference it would make to the behavior of, of some of my pupils if they had been forbidden chocolate in school 
I'd, yeah. I certainly have one or two. I'd, I'd see them, you know, they'd buy themselves maybe two or three cans of fizzy juice and drink them at break and then they'd come into the class five to kite. So I don't know whether that's possibly part of it too. But it is. certainly it is. I did notice over my 30 years, 33 years teaching that you might have one in the class, possibly. Yeah. You'd be very unlucky to get two disruptive pupils. And then gradually there seemed to be more in each class. Yeah, there is. A real, you know, attention deficit. Not mm -hmm. ill-natured particularly, but you couldn't leave, the, you couldn't put them in a group yeah. with three other pupils and just leave them to devise drama because they, they needed constant, you could yeah. do this, do that. Um, but you'd, you'd have a class, instead of having maybe one in a class of 20, so that you could you could sort of yeah. absorb them you could cope you, if you had four or five then that was one in every one of your groups of four so that made yeah. life much more difficult well there was there was 32 of us in our class mm. and you know you had one kid that you always knew was violent and i had to watch that person like a hawk because i never knew if i was going to have to duck mm -hmm. a punch or or what mm -hmm. because I got caught a few times mm -hmm. you had one who would always act up mm -hmm. and would try and think of ways to to get attention by getting kicked out mm -hmm. and his whole purpose was just to, to get kicked out attention seeking yeah three the third one was um somebody that was going through a very difficult home situation mm -hmm. and would pick on people when he did he hadn't done the homework because he was dealing with being a babysitter for mm -hmm. his younger sibling but also mm -hmm. trying to keep the house and then keep yes. his oh, parents yes. happy and the mm -hmm. last one was just a kid who had been ripped from his his original life his original mm -hmm. home life moved to the islands and didn't really fit in because he was mm -hmm. there was that that attitude of you're not a Shetland kid so mm -hmm. we're not mm -hmm. going to have you and he mm -hmm. and he was also violent because nobody would accept him and he thought the only way to be accepted was to hurt other people mm -hmm. to make other people scared of him mm -hmm. and and I I it's never understood that I yeah, I had to fight for my education. one of those children is somebody who desperately needs more help, more support. Yeah, and we are I needed, I needed a, a learning support. We still have, have a yeah. decent amount, amount of learning support. But it's yeah. always the first thing that gets cut. The auxiliary teachers, the, the people yeah. who are, are there to support people who need help. And, and that um, was the thing. I, I was supposed to have an auxiliary teacher in there to do the notes. Because at that mm -hmm. time, my, my hands were very bad. Mm -hmm. And they would spend more time dealing with the other three than they were mm -hmm. helping me. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I started at sort of saying, well, look, I want to be in mainstream, but I need the support to be in mainstream. Because I had to fight to stay in mainstream. Mm -hmm. And if I hadn't fought to stay in mainstream, I'd never gotten the education I did. Mm -hmm. But the downside to being in mainstream was I had to put up with the violent kids mm. and the kids that I wanted desperately to get away from because bullying was such a big issue in my year. Mm. And I'll, I always say the biggest regret I ever made was not going to Bray instead of mm. the Anderson High. Mm. 
because Bray had smaller class sizes, was more disabled friendly, and it was better environment for me. Mm. But I felt forced to take the Amherst in high school because I didn't get to do, I didn't get to see Bray, if that makes mm. sense. I, you know, Balsbury just assumed I had to go to the Anderson and that mm -hmm. was it. Mm -hmm. um, and I always said to mum, I feel like I would have done better in Bray because I mm -hmm. wouldn't have had to have dealt with the bullying and the drugs. Mm -hmm. I would have been safer. And right. I see that now. Like when I was in Larwick as a learning support teacher, it the attitudes are so much better. You know, kids are not ripped out of mainstream education and just dumped in special mm. need departments, which I mm. think is fantastic. Yeah. But at the same time, I understand they need more auxiliaries in classrooms in order to yeah. make that work. And that that's just not there. Mm. So I do we feel for them. And what I was able to see down here school. was the same thing. Mm. Yeah. And, and what I always felt was that it was so lovely having children with different abilities in the mainstream class because the other yeah. children could learn so much from them. They, they could learn yeah. the things that they could do. You know, I've had, I've had one child with autism who was an absolute whiz at maths and could out maths everybody else. And yeah. he couldn't write, but he had a wonderful, wonderful imagination with a scribe. He wrote absolutely superb stories for me. So did I. And, and I just thought yeah. it was just that there is so much we can all learn from each other. And yeah, it's so I, nice not to have the sort of ghettoization, which, I mean, in my youth, I remember only once seeing a child with Down syndrome, and that was because I had a friend, she, she was her sister, and I met her at the friend's house. But otherwise, yeah. you just you just never saw anybody who was different, which was a shame. Yeah, and I, I think, for real, I think we it's were good that. for it. Yeah, like I think it's. I think my year would have been better with me if there was other kids in my year that had health issues, mm -hmm. because they only ever saw me with the health issues, and they didn't mm -hmm. know how to sympathise or interact mm -hmm. with me. Mm -hmm. And I always said that that was a huge issue with Bellsbury was that they they segregated us off every chance mm -hmm. they got anybody that had any difficulties was was shoved mm -hmm. into a different place and it 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 bred animosity because the other kids thought we were going away to have fun and we were mm -hmm. not in another room pulling our hair out because we're trying to you know learn mm -hmm. something that the other classes the classes already learned and we're trying to catch mm -hmm. up mm -hmm. um and it, it was a shame it really was mm -hmm. and i like i like the change now the attitude is yes. now but i Absolutely. do think they, they still need to be able to say no and I think mm -hmm. if anything could be taken away from Shetland teaching and, and my time there, I know it was only a short period, but from my time there is, I would say don't overcorrect and it mm -hmm. is okay to tell a kid, look this is bad and this is the reason why it's bad mm -hmm. if you explain to them why you're saying no, that's okay because they're going to understand why you said no rather than just saying no you know so mm -hmm. I think don't ban the word try and implant an explanation as to why you're saying mm -hmm. that so that they can understand um, and of and course this year useful bits of childcare I was ever given um, yeah. do, 
stop and think before you say no to your child. I give you yes. this for what it's worth. Because there are times when you say no, like the child comes and says, can I do painting just now? And what you want to say is no. But what you actually mean was, oh, I'm so tired and it makes such a mess of the kitchen and I'll have to clear it up and I can't be bothered. That yep. actually, if you stop and take a deep breath, it can be yes. Yep. Let's just get the newspaper out and please try not to put too much paint on the floor. Yeah, but there, exactly. there is a sort of, as a parent, there's a sort of automatic no because it's it's too much bother for me. So I think yeah. if you if you sort of avoid that no and only use no where there is an absolute genuine reason, which you can then tell the child yeah. no because you only have just got the paints out by the time we're, we're just about to head for the shop. But tell you what, why don't you spread the newspaper on the table and when we get back from the shop then you can paint or something, you know. Yeah. If, yeah, if and I, can, I think there's also this. Mm. Yeah, there's also this attitude of, of parents where they feel like they have to do absolutely everything. Mm. So they feel like they have to have a, a sparkling clean house, and everything has to be in its place, and they have to mm. do absolutely everything to make sure that house is clean and the child's clean, and mm. you know what I mean. Whereas in my day my house looked usually like a bomb had hit it because my brother and me were not the tidiest kids in the world but it taught us mm -hmm. like my mother through that taught us you've got to tidy your room and you've mm -hmm. got you know if you want if you want to watch sky which was our big treat when sky mm -hmm. tv came to Sheffield, if you know i wanted to watch tv i had to clean my room and I had mm -hmm. to t I had to help do the dishes at daytime, and I had, mm -hmm. and these things, you know, you work towards goals. Whereas mm -hmm. nowadays, the parents are so worried about folk coming round and seeing their house mucky, or there's toys everywhere, that they absolutely wear themselves out cleaning the house, mm -hmm. and you know, constantly keep trying to keep that child entertained. They wear themselves absolutely ragged, and then. They're shorter fused by the time mm. that it comes to bedtime. And when it comes to bedtime, I think that's when they just say, I'm too tired to fight with this kid, so I'm just going to say yes and let them stay up till God knows how late mm. and then have a battle with them in the morning again to get them up for school mm. or get them to mm. nursery or whatever it is. And mm. I see that. I see that all the time with people. I might not be a parent, but I have been in the school when those kids come in and they are dog tired because they haven't had the eight hours minimum. And then it's on us as the teachers to try and get them through the day. And it, you know, Which it's is not good for the kid. The, the power of fiction comes in. Yes. That if if you were reading a child a chapter at night, they can't wait to get to bed to know what happens next. Yeah. That, yeah. that was certainly. A huge part of our childhood getting a, a chapter a night being read to us. In fact, I'm told that's that's how my mum realised that I could read, because yeah. she was, she was all set to start at where she got to, and I said, no, no, I've done that bit. I'm past there. I've got to here. Look. Yeah, yeah. And funnily mm. enough, my my mum struggled with dyslexia, so she couldn't read as well as other parents could. Mm -hmm. So, the way that she would she would just sort of give me something you know, big printed mm -hmm. reading books or whatever, and then she would she would go away. But I was the kind of kid, once Emmerdale and Coronation Street was over, I was falling asleep anyway. Because mm -hmm. I was one of the kids that actually liked to sleep. Um, mm -hmm. But my brother, on the other hand, would, would sneak away and play video games all night. Mm -hmm. And it so 
I, I was the reason she ended up getting her reading down pat because when we were in the hospital she was forced to read to me because there was no other way she could put me to bed. So mm. I think it's, and it's, it's good because when we get to a certain age as adults we stop doing things. We, we stop reading as much or you know we tend to watch the TV because the TV is easier to entertain us than reading something mm. or do you know what I mean? So I think it's good that you, if you do this with your kids, it you're freshening up your own skills, mm. and you're maybe relearning things mm. that you can then pass on to your kid, which helps them improve themselves. Mm. And of course, this year we, you know, the, there's a, a great event going on in Shetland, which you're a huge part of, um, and I reckon probably a huge part of the reason it's sold out. <laughs> is Shetland Noir, which is Shetland's version of a crime uh, event, weekend mm-hmm. event. And it's very similar to, I'll, I'll get you to, to tell me if I'm wrong on this, but it's very much like Bloody Scotland, which is a, a, a huge crime event that happens in Scotland every year. Mm-hmm. Would you would you agree with that analogy? Yeah, it's, it's, got, it's got bits of that and bits of Iceland Noir and and little bits of St Hilda's Crime Festival because um, yeah. when when we got together to plan it then uh, it was Shetland Art staff, particularly Rachel Dominey who's, who's a real star working on it, um, Anne Cleves and me and we were thinking about you know what have we seen that works in other places, what would we like to do so it's three solid days of crime, it's going to be absolutely wonderful fun it's starting off on the Thursday evening with just a, a big reception and then Friday starts with the speed dating event and we have six headliners who probably won't want to be part of that but also we have 21 panellists who will be speaking in, in groups of three throughout the weekend having having an hour with each panel so we'll get all the visitors, 200 of them all, yeah. all 200 tickets have already been sold for it the weekend tickets um, so they'll they'll sit at tables with two empty spaces and the authors will go round all the tables in pairs and they have two minutes each to sell themselves, sell their panel and then they go straight into each day we have a headliner at the start and a headliner to finish and the headliners are, are wonderful names like Val McDermott and Richard Osman um, Martin Edwards who is the He's the editor of the British Crime Classics series, you know, the one with the kind of old railway poster style covers, yeah, as well yeah. as an author in his own right. Um, we have Ellie Griffiths, the forensics uh, woman, and yeah. Shona McLean, who does wonderful Scottish his- historicals. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's going to be such fun. So we start and finish each day with a headliner, and then we have three, um, three panels each day, and we also have a talk on a local crime subject. So we have a, a former policeman who's com- going to come and talk about the, the problems of policing Shetland, which, which will not th- be what you might There is plenty of them, yes. There, there genuinely are. And we've got Brian of the Archives to come and talk about the murders in Fox Lane on Sunday. And which then would be good, yeah. We have, we have all the panels. We have three workshops, one on editing by someone who runs a professional editing firm. So to tell prospective writers, what what do these editing people do? How much do they charge and why do you need them? Yeah, um, which is important for all of those writers. 
We can't. Yeah. We can't do what we do without without editors. Absolutely not. A book is a team effort. Yeah. Um, Saturday evening, we're having a proper traditional supper dance so that everybody can have a go at proper Shetland dances. Which is um, always good fun. We're having a survivor's quiz. So I think it's it's going to be wonderful fun. All day Friday, all day Saturday, all day Sunday. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. And that's and in I mean, mid-June. 15th to 18th June. I mean, I'd only ever heard about Scotland. I had never, mm. you know, really heard that there was any other crime events mm -hmm. in Shetland. Or mm -hmm. in anywhere really, and mm -hmm. so when my editor emailed me and said, "What's Shetland Noir?" and I'm like, um, <laughs> "I need to go Google this and <laughs> come back <laughs> to you," and mm -hmm. I did, and I thought, mm -hmm. "Wow, this is this is a lot of fun!" Like, mm -hmm. and I I love the idea that we can spotlight a little bit of it on here because Shetland. Mm -hmm has so much to offer because as I think in our DNA as Shetlanders we all have that storytelling bug in us because mm. when those winters are long and if you can't play an instrument because I certainly couldn't you need to think of other ways to entertain each other um, because not a lot happens in Shetland sometimes and you need to kind of be able to think of these good stories to sort of share around the fireplace. Um, mm -hmm. And my aunt certainly, uh, Sandra Gray, was certainly a great inspiration for that because she uh, loved to try and get me to write stories and tell stories. Um, mm -hmm. I always say she's partly responsible for me ever writing my very first story, uh, which I don't mm -hmm. know if she takes credit for or if that's a curse for her, <laughs> but yeah. I'm sure um, she does take credit for it. <laughs> the first ever story I wrote was for her. I was eight years old and it was about a zoo. Because I had nothing to give her, and she was visiting me in hospital for the first time. Uh, mm -hmm. So I wrote this story, and it was awful. I know it was awful because I couldn't <laughs> yeah. spell, and I had no understanding of what grammar was. So, but she mm -hmm. held on to it, and I think I think that's mm -hmm. incredible. And and she pushed me to do the the library um, book writing contests every year in Shetland, mm -hmm. and I did mm -hmm. that at eighteen. Mm -hmm. um, and I I actually went back recently, and I read what I wrote for that competition. And I thought, wow, that my writing is so different now to what it mm -hmm. what it was back then. Uh, it was a, it was a bit of a an eye opener. Person, that's how it goes. Yeah, You're it was just my, you, my first one, and yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, so I I look forward to to maybe making an appearance in Shetland this summer and well, I hope promoting you will. it. Yeah. yeah. Because well, we have um, um, two Shetland books out this year from my publisher. We've got mm -hmm. the Hit McLeod Investigations, the Family Tree Snuffed Out, which mm -hmm. is my first crime novel in a series of four. And mm -hmm. then I have a Shetland historical based on the Shetland bus project, which comes oh, out in November. Mm -hmm. And that kind of looks at the ones that did a lot of the sacrificing um, but through the eyes of the the last of the royal line that was in Shetland so it's a mm -hmm. bit of a twist on it um, mm -hmm. but I think it's I did a lot of research into it and I listened to a mm -hmm. lot of stories and it's it's been a lot of fun to write it so I'll be interested to see mm -hmm. what people think of that I think it's coming out Memorial Day uh -huh. so that will yeah. be different um, mm -hmm. 15th of November, which is also my wedding anniversary. <laughs> mm -hmm. Couldn't have picked a weirder day. 
honestly. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's good, and I I feel great because I feel like I'm able to give something back to Shetland mm-hmm. for all the years of of inspiration and writing for me. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I I wish I could be with you guys in Noir. You never know, I might show up and go. Well, I hope you will. We we are hoping through through the weekend to to put up a rota of times when authors can read, yeah. if they're wanting to read a bit from their. We we're getting to use the upstairs in Mariel as a sort of festival club, but oh, the wow. whole the whole of the Mariel building they're giving over just to Shetland Noir, which That's is wonderful. So will be everybody. I think it'll make for such a friendly atmosphere. It will. So I'm, I'm I actually thought it'd be an Islesboro. That's what mm-hmm. I thought it would have been. Mm-hmm. No, no, it's it's we're taking over Mario. Wow! So we've got the big auditorium. Yeah, that that's got to be intimidating though. Standing on the the auditorium reading your novel <laughs> just a little yeah. bit. Well, I think for for the readings and what we're going to suggest is that they're upstairs if they have a sort of festival hub upstairs yeah. in the upstairs cafe, you know, because well, that'd be quite yeah. a nice wee space to just let somebody stand in a corner probably without a mic even and just read a bit of their latest book because we've got yeah, an hour I think and a half good, lunch yeah. each day I think so we could have two maybe three people doing ten minutes each up there that yeah that work. would be great yeah because mm-hmm. yeah. to, to me like I, I have done theatre as well as you and it, mm-hmm. it there is a little bit of nerves going up when you first sort of walk on that stage oh, yeah. there is that kind of always is Freeze, I still you know? have all the theatre I've done and I'm still standing at the side of the stage terrified before my first entrance. Every time. Do you know what was funny? The I used always... see the time is kind of going and I'm beginning to yep. feel like I should explain folk. I, I had a gallbladder operation two weeks ago tomorrow and, and my my attention can only last so long, I'm afraid. Well, we've been delighted to have you on. Yeah. It has been lovely to be back. Thank you. And honestly, it's been a pleasure to have you. And we're so excited to read Death in Shetland Lane. And, mm-hmm. you know, we'll have to have you back when number 12 comes out. Well, that would be great. Number 12 is starts with the death at the folk festival. Ooh. I, I know people who run the folk festival, so that that would be very interesting, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm having well, thank you for coming on. And guys, you'll want to come back next week as we have a New York bestseller coming on. And you're not going to want to miss that. No. No.